Hello, and welcome to Their World, a new podcast focused on respectful engagement, inclusion, and civility in the workplace. I'm Dr. Robin Rosenberg, and every month we hear from guests to discuss different aspects of workplace issues relevant to organizational culture, human resources, diversity, equity, inclusion, and risk mitigation. Join us as we jump in. Our guest today is Dr. Tunji Oki. Dr. Oki works at Google as a hiring equity people analytics manager and holds a PhD in industrial organizational psychology from the University of Houston. He's currently responsible for driving analytical efforts to increase the equity of Google's selection systems. Prior to Google, Dr. Oki worked as a consultant for Applied Psychological Techniques, where he consulted with Fortune 100 companies in the areas of job analysis, employee selection, test development, test validation, and legal issues. Welcome, Dr. Oki. Thanks so much for taking the time. No problem at all. Thank you so much for having me, Robin. I appreciate your being here and wondered if we could start if you could tell us some about the concept of diversity hiring, because I know a lot of people don't really understand what that is. For sure. And, you know, I think there's a lot of misconceptions, you know, when you hear the phrase diversity hiring, um, the first kind of uh, misconception that comes to your mind is a hiring bar or more so that um, diversity hiring is done um, where we're lowering the hiring bar um, letting underrepresented Black, Latinx candidates, you know, through a hiring process that, quote unquote, they may not deserve. Um, and I think that's a very dangerous, um, you know, misconception to have about the, about what we consider diversity hiring. Because we make the assumption that the current process that we have is right and it's perfect and that it can't be tweaked and it can't be innovated. And so to kind of base our hiring process on what has traditionally worked it's always going to be a flawed system because as now, like we're in a period where we care deeply about making sure our companies are reflective of like what the world looks like. And this is the first time, you know, that this is actually being prioritized. And so when we think of something like diversity hiring, you know, it's, we need to be very careful that we're not thinking about lowering the bar. It's pretty much adjusting the expectations to meet the reality and making sure that we're designing a system that will actually work for everyone. It's not to say, you know, one group is stronger than another, one group is weaker than another. We're not operating from any form of a deficit narrative when we're saying diversity hiring. It's more so about the actual um, kind of programs that you're putting into place, the, the strategies that you're infusing. You're not just looking at the, the top, let's say, percentile of people who came from a university or the top 5%, top 2%. You're broadening the schools that you're looking at. You may be looking at HBCUs, HSIs, historically black college or universities, historical Spanish institutions. You're, you're looking at other forms of ways that people can demonstrate skill sets. You know, GPA, um, you know, how people, uh, those are like, again, our traditional metrics, but there are so many other metrics that really determine, you know, someone's ability to succeed. You know, how well can they actually learn things on the job? What can be trained? Um, what is their kind of their perseverance or their grit? 
um, their adaptability. We have so many other metrics that, you know, a traditional GPA, you might not get that. You know, you may have a traditional, uh, untraditional candidate who their GPA may not be at 4.0, maybe it's a 3.0, maybe it's in the twos, um, but maybe they had to deal with some form of hardships or so throughout their college degree. You know, we don't get the story with the person, we just see the person. And so when we just say something like diversity hiring is, you know, lowering the bar, or we're like we're making it easier to come in, no, I know we're actually making it more accurate. Um, and we're, we're, we're in, uh, implementing strategies to make sure that, you know, it is inclusive of all people of all walks of life and not just a singular profile, which, you know, we have, it leads to better business outcomes, better strategies, better user experiences. If it's a company that, that produces products, I guarantee you, if you have people that look like the body of the people that you're trying to use your product, it's imperative to actually get people that work there as well that can give that perspective. So diversity hiring isn't what some people think, trying to get quote numbers up. It makes good business sense. Let's look at it from the perspective of underrepresented employees. Tell us about that. Imagine like the employees that are actually hired and you're, you're, you're coming to a place where, you know, you're, you're, it, it's not a well-represented company, most likely, you know, if you're a black, if you're a Latinx or so, you're coming into a situation where, you know, you are going to be one of the few probably within the company. And then you have this stigma that you are, you only were able to come into this company because of your skin color, completely discounting your qualifications, completely discounting your, you know, everything that you might've brought to the table. And so this already begins a, a vicious cycle where now you you start potentially doubting yourself and you have now it's like your inefficacy pretty much develops. Like, can I actually do this? Was I actually only selected because of my skin color? Was I actually only selected because of my gender? Um, and then that's, you know, traditional model like that could lead to maybe you don't perform as high because your comp- confidence is lower, your anxiety might be higher. And then it's, it's just a vicious cycle when in reality, it's not, it's just not true. You know, people, like a lot of these candidates who are underrepresented, who we claim we try to set diversity hiring goals for, they are well and more uh, capable, you know, than, you know, the traditional people that we hire on a day-to-day basis. And so especially for folks who, you know, have to deal with this on a you know, day-to-day basis, I'll, I'll just say that, um, you know, you are good enough, you are more than capable, you know, there's no selection based off of, you know, it's not just because of your skin color, those are, those are just lies, those are not, those are not true, you, you know, you have the capability to perform the job and to really reinforce that. And I think it's really on, it's really the, the job of companies um, to really enforce that perspective. Um, to make sure that people because numbers are one thing, it's one thing to say, yeah, we hired uh, 10%, 20%, 30% increase in our Black population, our Latinx population, our female population, et cetera. But if you can't get them to stay, and that's where the inclusion element comes in, because they're feeling ostracized, they're feeling alone, they're feeling like imposters, then that's just, you're opening up, the, you're not actually solving a problem, you're just pushing it down a path of, of failure, essentially. There are so many things in what you said. Um love to unpack some of those. Is that okay? Sure, thanks. Great. Um, I love what you said about grit and perseverance and overcoming hardship. 
And my understanding of a lot of the most recent research on what makes for, um, for lack of a better term, good, good hires is, is actually not their GPA, that it is the, you know, that there's that saying where you can teach people content. And in fact, many companies and organizations now don't really want to hire people for their content and expertise. They'd rather teach them themselves and teach it their way. They're looking for those characteristics of grit and perseverance. And those aren't people's GPAs. And I just wondered if, if that, if you could say more about grit and perseverance and what you meant. For sure. Um, you know, in this, we see this in other forms of, um, of institutions. So like grad schools, law schools, you know, we have the GRE, we have um, like the LSAT to get into law school or so. And, and they've, they've done some studies in the past that have shown that, you know, your LSAT score, your GRE score is predictive of your first year in law school or in grad school. But beyond that, uh, it has no relationship or no strong relationship with you know, how you're going to perform. And what's more, more of a, strong, a stronger predictor is these elements like perseverance and grit. Because again, at that point in time, it's not about like how you can demonstrate your knowledge on that specific, let's say, assessment or through a GPA or anything. It's kind of, can you persevere when things get, you know, can, do you know how to study? Do you know how to, um, you know, extracurricular activities that could be, you know, if you're doing multi, if you're balancing extracurricular activities with a 3.0 versus you have no extracurricular activities and a 4.0, you know, that may, there may be two different types of profiles or archetypes that we're talking about from a person that's more likely to succeed at the next level. And so we think about like perseverance because, you know, there's, if there's one thing that's constant um, in the workplace, it's, it's change. And in being adaptable, being like having an ability to kind of, uh, kind of go with the flow and still find a way to succeed. And I think these are the areas where, you know, that's really going to determine who succeeds and who doesn't succeed is really the grit, the perseverance, and it's not just the quote-unquote like the book smarts or the, the ability to pass a multiple choice test or so. These are like there's book skills and like school skills that you can get, and then there's kind of like general life application skills. Like your ability to get a high GPA show that, you know, it should show, you know, that you're able to learn and that you're able to study, you're able to kind of master some concepts for the sake of passing a, a test but then your ability to like have grit and perseverance, um, dedication, conscientiousness, you know, these are all personality factors or, or work style preferences where, you know, it can really go above and beyond your just general ability to, and really show like, are you able to actually succeed at that next level? Right. Great. Thanks. We'll be right back after this break. Do you have a question regarding incivility in your workplace? A monthly column called Dear Robin, authored by clinical psychologist Dr. Robin Rosenberg, aims to address workplace incivility by answering readers' real-life questions. Robin dives deep into various types of workplace incivility, from racial bias to sexism and more, and offers strategies to help mitigate these issues. New Dear Robin questions and answers are posted on the second Tuesday of each month. You can ask Robin a question yourself, or simply read other people's questions and her answers. Go to liveintheirworld.com slash dearrobin. 
That's liveintheirworld.com slash D-E-A-R-R-O-B-I-N. I also want to address that question that you talked about, which is, you know, wondering why was I hired and the risk of, of either um, people who are hired or who have already been hired having an imposter syndrome and, and also the issue about other people in, in the workplace wondering why were you hired and if you could unpack that a bit. Yeah, it's it's really a, you know, and I've seen this with through some certain companies, you know, that have launched some of these programs with the goal of bringing in a more representative pipeline. And, you know, just for the folks when they're hired to just be labeled as a, oh, you were a diversity hire or so. And the mental toll that you see it actually takes um, on people, it, it's, it's, it's really sad, it's, you know, to really see, and it's really, you know, disheartening because, again, you can't wake up one day and just say, hey, I want to be, you know, and just as an example, an electrician. There's, you have to have a baseline of knowledge, skills, and abilities in order to do so. And so just because the way that you demonstrated it through the selection process or through the program that they was different from the traditional, it doesn't mean that you don't deserve it. And um, a lot of times, you know, companies aren't as vocal about, you know, kind of standing up and backing the employees um, when, you know, these perceptions of thought are, are prevalent throughout the company. It's, you know, and I think part of that is due to a lot of um, executives, you know, believing in DNI because it, it's more so a, a hot topic. It's a it's a buzzword. It's something that you kind of you should be doing, um, but do they actually kind of believe in what they're doing and why they're doing it? Because if you did, then I think they should be on the front line to really dispel any of those myths that they are not these people are not as qualified or they're not as um, competent as people who get hired in a traditional format. And so, you know, when they come into the, uh, you know, the workplace, again, with this stigma applied to them already, and it could show up in a lot of different ways. You know, it shows up in um, not getting the same opportunities as somebody who was hired maybe in a more, quote unquote, traditional process would get. Again, like I mentioned earlier, it could show up in the terms of an inefficacy, not, you know, even just doubting yourself, feeling confident, because it's, it's very easy. You know, you hear that that bug enough, you know, you've been around environments where you may, may have been one of the one and only that look like you, that sound like you, that are from the same background as you. And so, you know, hearing that, you know, you don't belong or, you know, you only get it because of this, you know, it could resonate very easily for some folks. And that's, again, it's a very vicious cycle because it can almost become like a self-fulfilling prophecy where you just don't, because of that, you're more stressed, you're, you're more anxious, you don't perform as well as you know that you can perform. Um, you know, you believe that people are kind of just waiting for you to fail just to say, I told you so. And so if there's a lot of elements that can kind of lead to it. But as an organization, as supervisors, this is the area that you need to be able to support. And they really need to have a zero tolerance policy for people who um, share those beliefs that, you know, that someone who came in at it from a different process is, for whatever reason, you know, lower or less capable. And I think establishing that type of company climate will really help mitigate those kind of, you know, perceptions and understand, and just reinforcement, reinforcing 
those candidates who may have came in from like a different profile or a different background or so that they do belong and that they are here for a reason and that they are here because of their talent and their capabilities. And, you know, that, and that should be what's reinforced to them so they can feel that confidence and the assurance that, no, I'm invested in this person. We believe in you as a, as a individual. Great. So that, so you heard it here. That is what companies should be doing alongside their uh, diversity hiring efforts. Thank you for that. So if a company is successful in their diversity hiring, what happens then? Sometimes we put timelines. We treat kind of diversity hiring as a project plan where we expect to see a return on investment maybe in a year, in two years, or a couple of years or so. In reality, this is it's almost a lifelong company commitment because the minute that you kind of relax on the aggressiveness that you're pursuing this type of hiring and these alternative strategies to bring in a diverse talent pool, you're behind. Because at the end of the day, there is like from a population perspective, there's, there's just less of those type of talent out there. And so if you're, if you're not taking an active approach every single year, you're going to be playing catch up for that one year, that two year that you didn't hit your targets or you didn't, um, weren't as aggressive in your approach. Do you have other thoughts to share about diversity hiring? The last thing that I'll say just about diversity hiring is that, again, it has to be done with a lot of actual intention. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the um, with the Rooney rule, but this mm-hmm. was a, uh, yeah, this was a kind of a, a rule that was implemented into the NFL. And I believe some companies are using it now, too. Uh, but the idea was that, you know, before, you know, when hiring coaches or executives or so, uh, we would have, they would have a mixture of women and then a person of color is part of the final like interviewing pool. And I believe at initially on its onset, we, there, there was an increase in um, uh, black and Latinx coaches in the NFL. But then after a while, it started being, um, you know, there weren't really major differences, even though people were interviewing for these leadership roles, for these coaching roles. Um, a lot of the executives or the people making the hiring decisions, they already knew the person they wanted to hire. And they were only interviewing these the, the women candidate, the, the black candidate, the Latinx candidate, just for the sake of meeting that rule. And so that's why a rule could take you only so far, I believe. It could, you know, it can definitely get some things going in the right direction, but there really needs to be a mindset, a mindset shift where people can um, truly believe that, you know, what they're doing and not doing it because they're supposed to do it, but do it because they truly believe they can get better, the best talent and actually give everyone an equal opportunity to succeed. Actually there, thank you for that. Um, I know that law firms have an equivalent. It's called the Mansfield rule. Mm. And uh, I think that other, professions are are contemplating something but that is the the danger is the you know that it's for show and um as you said and it's not it's not a real concerted effort of how can we as a company or an organization or firm or a football team um really get the best people from with the widest funnel and who really want to be here and can do the work and really add to 
to the organization. In our last couple of minutes, I just wanted to tell listeners how we met and, <laughs> and, and just, um, just hear your, your thoughts. So I, I met Dr. Oki uh, when Living Their World was uh, doing some filming for, for some of our virtual reality, our, our first virtual reality track. And he answered a casting call and mentioned that he worked at Google. And I was somewhat anxious because I didn't know what his, he mentioned he was an industrial organizational psychologist. And I thought, why is he answering a casting call? I was <laughs> really confused. Um, and, and then I'll let you take, and then he was amazing as an actor, just as a, as a, as a side. And, um, and I'll let you take it from there about your, your experience with, with living your world. Yeah, it, it, it was truly one of the most um, just impactful experiences that I've had, you know, from just actually acting to seeing the scripts, um, just being able to kind of, again, tell a story that I don't think is told enough. Um, you know, I was also surprised when I did the casting call. Previously, I, the only I did some acting work on Black Panther as like an extra. And so I really, at that point, kind of fell in love with the, you know, the acting and the just the, the teaching that you can do through acting, it really became a, um, a real general interest. And so when I saw uh, you know, the casting call, it was just like, oh, this sounds really interesting. And then I remember I Googled your name and I saw that, oh, you're a psychologist. I was like, what are the odds? Like psychologist was like, I was just like, you know, it was, I was like, this is, I was like, there is something. And so I made it an effort. I was like, okay, I have to like, at some point while I'm here, I have to like get some separate time and make sure that we just talk. Because I'm sure the perspectives that you're bringing and just the idea of like using VR in um, as a way of like really hammering down this training and the allyship and like what can be done and, and you know, how to solve these issues and microaggressions. It was so in a new way, an innovative way, and it just resonated. And like me, when I was looking at the script and I was like, wow, this is some of the stuff I literally have gone through at the workplace. I know friends who have gone through this at the workplace. It's kind of looks like just watching art. And you're just like, this has the, and I just thought this has the impact this could have on the workplace is just insurmountable. Um, the, the, the scenarios were so like just accurate and they just hit home so much. This has an opportunity to really get this in front of executives. I really feel like you will get it at the end of this training. You'll get, you'll leave as a changed person. A lot of times our diversity training, inclusion training, whichever, however we want to phrase it, they're very point and click. You kind of, you know, look at this, click next, next slide, next slide, next slide. Okay, um, submitted, I'm here. You know, I um, completed the training. But this is one that just really sticks with you and it really gets the perspective of, of what you actually can do instead. And it really will challenge your thoughts because, you know, there may be some people going through the training that, hey, I didn't see what was so wrong about what the microaggression that this person said. You know, there may be people that think, and then it really shows like, this is what's problematic. And these are ways that this could have been addressed. And it sometimes gives multiple avenues just so it's not just one way that's the right way. There's going to be multiple ways that, you know, this uh, can mm -hmm. be solved. Full disclosure, um... Dr. Oki was also a script consultant on on the. Uh, he's talking about Javante's story, which is our our black man part of our black man track, 
and he he played the role of Javante and um, did an amazing job, really amazing job. Thank you so much, Dr. Oki. It has been an absolute pleasure having you here and talking about these issues. We'll be back with Dr. Oki in our next podcast to focus on inclusion and allyship. For people wanting a deeper dive into some of the topics discussed today, please see the links in the description of this podcast. As companies prioritize their diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, there is understandable anxiety about these initiatives and interventions. How will they be received? Will they help the organization achieve their objectives? The Live in Their World program has one goal, to help employees develop more respectful ways to interact with each other. They go a step beyond traditional handbooks, seminars, and discussions, and offer employees a chance to experience what it is actually like to stand in their colleagues' shoes. Are you interested in exploring the next generation of civility training? Visit liveintheirworld.com to learn more. That's liveintheirworld.com.